the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. Hey, how you doing? This is the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Show 49, 23rd of February 2012, coming to you from SW8. Good hair isn't enough. It never was. I know that now. Hope this week's uh, show finds you all in rude health. It got cold again, didn't it? This this spell when you're waiting for spring is always a bit of a tease. I'm, I'm sure we'll have one more big cold snap before the better weather comes in. I turned off my uh, storage heating a couple of days ago prematurely, had to turn it back on again yesterday, but it won't kick in, or didn't kick in rather, until today. So uh, last night was pretty cold here. Today I'm out preparing uh, the running order for the show. I'm wearing a coat, a scarf, and it's it's too hot again. You look like an idiot. You you look like an idiot. Anyway, quite the show this week. We've got Song Overkill. We've got Ridiculous Job Specs. Uh, are you the person you thought you were when you were younger? We've got the uh, Basics Range Hall of Fame. Uh, more from the Wellbeing Garden, as I asked on the blog a couple of days ago. Which of the five points have you nailed down and which do you need to work on and why? Uh, our frequently absent and erratic fire warden, Billy Two Rivers, is back with details of a disastrous fire drill he oversaw at work since he was last with us. Uh, Clay Lowe former U.S. Army captain, occasional please-don't-hug-me contributor, visual storyteller, writer, podcaster. Uh, he's on to talk about his own midlife crisis and the impact his own story had on me last year. Uh, questions I'd ask if I was never coming back to the cafe, and we're back to Japan to catch up with the latest international sexploits of Shogun Paul Gaffey. That's all on this week's podcast. Uh, ways, as always, to get in touch with the show. You've got the blog, 1607westegg.wordpress.com. Got the uh, Facebook group. I always get a build-up of saliva around uh, at this point. I'm giving out uh, too many ways to contact the show. Uh, I think I need one of those suction things that they give you at the uh, uh, dentists. Um, you can also, uh, sorry, the Facebook group. Uh, yeah, just uh, ask to uh, join the Daniel Ruiz Tyson uh, podcast uh, group, and I'll add you on there. You can follow me on Twitter too at sixteen oh seven Westegg. Kicking off, I, I, I realised uh, just after recording last week's show, I didn't give a full answer to the email from the uh, the guys at Bark Pamphlet. Uh, they asked whether, uh, given the willpower I'd shown in not tweeting, uh, whether I might not do the same with the lattes. And uh, I didn't answer that, and I'm going to answer that now. I, I gave that some thought uh, over the last few days. Um, given that they use full-fat milk in there, it is something I've often considered. Um, you don't really get the option in there of asking for a semi-skimmed latte i think they'd throw you out there's there's no such thing as semi-skimmed milk in there i've never seen any semi-skimmed milk being delivered in there back in the days before the um, smoking ban the, the, the pre-smoking uh, ban days that's what messed up my third nose uh went in there after surgery and uh, the women in there the chain smokers smoking like south american football coaches they killed my nose so i i, I was trying around then to give up the cafe and in turn the lattes i started getting to all the sort of uh, high street cafes, uh, uh, the usual culprits. Didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy it. Any place, any cafe that's got a sofa, that, that's not a cafe as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, having scaled back on everything I took for granted in the old life, the study, the smoothies, the Sunday roast, uh, good clothes, £35 haircuts, I don't think I can give up anymore. I don't think I can give up the lattes. I don't think I can. 
had the um, flat inspection. I think I mentioned last week I had a flat inspection uh, due. I cleaned for about 12 hours over a couple of days. Um, had about three separate attempts at uh, cleaning each window. Not easy, two floors up. I found I was just cleaning the same parts of the window, the same parts of the window I couldn't reach in the first place. I wasn't able to reach again. Letton's agent came round. She was in here for all of two minutes. So basically I cleaned uh, six hours for every minute she was here. Borrowed a hoover off my aunt. Had to bring it all the way from hers all the way to mine. It was a great hoover though. Uh, so I'm glad I did that. Uh, good, good hoover. I think it, it wasn't a Henry, but it was up there with a Henry, I have to say. Uh, some serious suction power on that hoover. Um, I returned it and I thought, you know, I should have really kept this another day. Hung on to it another day. Um, because I then realised Letton's agent, she would, you know, she was going to come in with her shoes. All I could do after she was gone was, you know, was sweep. Uh, I told myself Letting's agents of cars that she wouldn't have walked that much in those shoes. She'd take the car everywhere except lunchtime and she might go to the supermarket to grab her sandwich. She wouldn't have walked that much in those shoes. That's what I kept telling myself. They're not her Friday night pulling shoes where, you know, the, the special shoes she'd wear out on the weekend. She'd be out with a load of mates out on a pub crawl, drunkenly screaming at any man built like Mickey Boyd. Uh, that's my first mention of Mickey on this week's show. He's, he's asked specifically for eight mentions, at least eight mentions on this week's show to satisfy his uh, huge ego, which is as big as his uh, expansive chest. Um, so I, I told myself the shoes she came in didn't have much walking mileage on them. I'd left my own indoor shoes in the hallway. I haven't worn these shoes, these slip-ons, um, since 2006. I haven't worn them outdoors. Uh, basically, because they're, they're those trainers that started coming into fashion in the mid-noughties without any heels. And I always found them very uncomfortable to walk on. Uh, to walk in, rather. Um, and, you know, your trousers would always be dragging across the floor because there were no heels on them. So I just use them now as slip-ons to greet the contractors. They stay in the hallway. They're not easy to get on, actually. And I'd unchopped the door. I left the uh, latch on one of those flick up or down latches. Not not the chain thing. Um, you know, the chain's never a good look. A man undoing a chain on a latch. That just looks like the... You know, as a man, it looks like you fear being assaulted. So I didn't have that. Um, she had a key. I didn't want to come in. She was trying to come in. But obviously, I'd put the latch on. Um, only gave me one knock to answer. So I rushed from my desk, which is where I'm recording from now. To get to the hallway, I thought it'd be quite easy, um, and it was surprisingly tricky to get the slip-ons onto my feet. It looks, uh, you know, I looked suspiciously red-faced when I finally opened the door to her. I was out of breath, so uh, that that was awkward. And I was out of breath, and I said hello to her, but I, I sounded so old. I was just, you know, I was just struggling for breath. I was wheezing. Given that the uh, outdoor shoes haven't been outdoors for about six years, I really should have had them on my feet earlier. They said they'd be coming between 10 and 2. I should have just kept the shoes on between uh, 10 and uh, 2. I don't know what's going to happen now uh, as a result of the uh, inspection. I'd like to move out. I'm stuck here right now. I think I'm trying to do this properly. Um, you know, I'd love to go. I'd love to get out of here. I mentioned the shower still doesn't work to them. Um, which, you know, I've got a new Lettings uh, manager now. The last one was awful. I'm hoping this one might be better. I'm hoping that she can have a, a stab at getting me my uh, working shower. I mean, showers are great. You make the water do the work for you. It gets in your eyes. It runs off you. You, you know, it gives you a momentum. In the bath, you're essentially doing what you're doing 
in the shower, but you're doing it lying down. In the shower, you don't really have to look at what you're washing, do you? In a bath, you're lying on your back. You're more inclined to do that. And my bath is very narrow. It's it's the narrowest bath I've ever been in. I've had small baths before, you know, where you're, you're kind of struggling to get in there. That's that's fine. You can deal with that. But I've sussed what's causing me exceptional difficulty in this bath is how narrow it is. It makes me feel like I've got Mark Hughes legs. You know, I've got, I've got you know, reasonably powerful thighs, but I'm no Mark Hughes. Also, with a shower, you can take a pause, you can leave the shower running, you close your eyes, you lean on the wall, you act like you have a lot on your mind. Again, in the bath, you're lying down, it's it's harder to do that. Harder to do that. But I'm still, yeah, I'm still structuring my days fairly well. It's hard, I'm doing what I need to do. I took a break from the 9 to 5 uh, pursuit a couple of days ago to cook my meal during the daytime. Uh, so it would be ready in the evening when I got back from the cafe. I've almost finished uh, my new stand-up routine, you know, working on it in the cafe in the evenings. So I was cooking during the afternoon. I opened the window to air the flat. The neighbour across the yard level with my flat. He's two, uh, two floors up as well. He had his windows open. He starts talking to me from across the yard. I'm thinking, what's that all about? We exchanged a, a few agonising pleasantries. Meantime, I, I shielded my miserable fare from him by uh, uh, blocking his view to the frying pan. I didn't want him to see me opening the chilli con carne jar. Because up until that point, it all looked so good. I was chopping up ingredients, uh, using basics uh, range spices, which he wouldn't have been able to see were basics range from his window. I, I, the way I shielded that pan, like Kenny Dalgleish, the player with his back to goal and his uh, famous big ass pressing up against the defender. That's how I shielded uh, that moment with a jar. So just, you know, like a lot of people, I'm doing what I can. I'm doing what I can, finding on a week-to-week -week basis that it needs to be more. It needs to be more. I've been taking the two-hour walks. I walked past, uh, it might have been show... Actually, I moved here in time for show 8, I think. So it would have been maybe around show 11 or 12. I talked about this street I've, I'm very curious about. St. Rule Street. Off Wandsworth Road. Leads down to Battersea. Never walked down there, but I'd like to. And I don't know what stopped me yet. I think I'm waiting for it to be uh, lighter. I checked it out on Google Maps. And I literally went down that road on Google Maps. Yeah, I'm not that fascinated with Google Maps. But uh, I think for the first time, I really saw how useful it can be. And I... I uh, took a look down the full length of that road. It's got a park, Heathbrook. Um, I forgot to ask Mickey if he knows that park. I've never ever heard of it. It looks reasonably big, and it's got a beautiful brownstone building on the left-hand side, which is either a school or uh, converted flats, as so many of these uh, old school buildings seem to be now. Unassuming entry at the top of the road at the Wandsworth Road end, uh, a tyre place, and on the other side of that, flats. Not the best looking flats, modern flats, but not the best looking. And on the corner, a very strange, vulnerable looking front door, standalone front door away from the other doors. And it's just protected by a railing and a, and a, and a gate. And it really does look ugly. I, I've noticed that about, well, I guess it's anywhere really. I don't think that's London specific. But uh, every time in the past when I've been to, you know, flat hunting, there's always been two or three flats where the entry into the building has been so strange, so strange. There was one place up near towards Tootin that's still there on the main road, uh, I think Ballam High Road or Tootin Road, whatever that road is. Um, and it's a shocking, shocking 
door. It's in a terrible state, and there was so much rubbish there. And I thought, even if this was refurbished, the amount of rubbish that people were chucking on this front door and pushing through this uh, this rail, I thought, even if they refurbished this building and turn it into London's most beautiful building, simply because of what I remember it being like, I couldn't live there. I couldn't live anywhere that I knew had been once, you know, had once been dirty. It's like there's a there's a bench on the northern line. Tottenham Court Road Station, southbound, the last bench as you walk down the uh, southbound Northern Line platform. And I remember back in November 88, I saw a tramp, one of the dirtiest tramps I've ever seen, lying down on there. Ever since then, 23 and a half years on, I've never sat on that bench. I don't care if that bench has been changed. I'm never sitting on that bench. I know I will never sit on that bench. I know what I'm like. You're listening to the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast, show 49, Love, Loss and Lattes. Lots of lattes coming to you from SW8 London. Hey, I nearly, um, a couple of days ago, I nearly bought a 16-piece smart price cutlery set in Asda for £1.32. And then I thought, no, you are not buying that. You are not there yet. You've not lost yet. And I'm pleased, I'm pleased that I didn't buy that. If I win, if I turn this around and I bought that, I'd never have allowed myself to forget how low I went. Proud of myself in that moment. I was strong. I was strong. Time now for uh, this week's song, Overkill. Every week I ask, which song have you overplayed this week and why? And yet again, right now, and I I, I realise this is why my iPod's in front of me, uh, I've realised I've not chosen my song. So, uh, I'm going to have to pause this and come back to you. I know why I'd forgotten to uh, choose my song, and I'll explain it at the end of this. Uh, the song I've been overplaying this week, not not too much, but uh, I have overplayed it. Uh, King's Cross by the Pet Shop Boys, I think that was from their breakthrough second album, was it actually? Um, great song, lovely video, I think the video was by Derek Jarman. And a band at the height of their powers, uh, uh, and a band that I, I kind of got into from the beginning. I wasn't a big fan of West End Girls at the time. I think it's it was much later before I fully appreciated that it was a great song, and there was no reason not to like it because everyone else was liking it. That was just the stupid reason. So that's my uh, song this week. Um, always like those guys. I remember that for years they never played live because uh, it was believed Neil Tennant's voice which is a limited voice, but it's great at what it does, like a lot of those singers when they when they uh, uh, get their uh, stuff together. But, you know, Bernard Sumner can, uh, you know, he is erratic, an erratic live performer, but he can sing. It's just, uh, it's it's hit and miss. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do I do like them. And um, one of my favourite bands from, from that time. That's died a death slightly there. No preparation. Every other part of the show... I've prepared, I've knuckled down, I've done what I needed to do, except this part. Um, Silly uh, Casper, Song Overkill, playing Claypex is not getting any better, a great deal. Tuneful, dubstep for the less hardcore. Great free EP, though. I said a few weeks ago, I I have a problem with uh, people my age, older than me, uh, people in their 30s and 40s coming up with this uh, dubstep terminology. This uh, 
I think dubstep has been around since the late 90s and when we were all in our 20s we weren't calling it dubstep I, I find this really really strange uh, I've I've heard this now from five or six people and they're all my age are young people calling it dubstep I'm guessing they are but maybe maybe uh, what's taking my attention is the fact that guys my own age keep doing this I've, I've, I've read people tweeting about dubstep and I'm thinking mate you were born in the 70s are you even allowed to use that word uh, according to wiki uh, dubstep is a genre of electronic dance music that originated in South London its overall sound has been described as tightly coiled productions with overwhelming bass lines and reverberant drum patterns clipped samples and occasional vocals what, what's wrong with just saying it's electronic music electronic dance music I don't know I don't know. It's 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 bothering me. I, I'm determined not to use that word. Um, William, the lovely William Stafford, copyright Mickey Boyd. Hope you are well, sir. My song Overkill this week is Snowflake by Kate Bush. This is the opening track from her latest album, And Beautiful in Its Simplicity. I've been a fan of Bush in this context. Very naughty, William. Uh, since her first... <laughs> Uh, he got me there. Since her first appearance on Top of the Pops, while my peers were into the jam and madness and all that sort of thing, I was losing myself in the music of Kate Bush. Each song a dramatic scenario, a short film for the imagination. Her more recent output has a different sound. Songs are longer with a more introverted feel to them. I love Kate Bush uh, myself. Her two albums last year were very, very good. I've only got Tori Amos up there with her, you know, I think Kate Bush is a, is a musical genius. I think Tori Amos is too. Um, I suspect Amos being, uh, you know, considerably younger was influenced by uh, Bush. It's uh, William continues. Nevertheless, the reclusive Miss Bush remains the most original female artist in history, with emphasis on the artist. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Lady Gaga is a flash in the pan wannabe. Adele's much fated output shows a limited range of expression. She needs to write a song from the point of view of one of the pies she's eating. Shogun, our friend in uh, Japan, Paul Gaffey, Mongoloid by D, is it Devo or D-E-V-O? How could it not be? A favourite band of mine, Bougie Boy's Funeral is also a great track. Um, okay, I think this is Pete now. Um, Eminem featuring Nate Dogg, Till I Collapse, instrumental version. A weird choice for me this week, but I found this instrumental track on a YouTube video. Boristo Ege o Benfica e o Mayor do Mundo. That might be mejor del mundo. Just seeing how your Portuguese is there. I love how it builds up, then adds the handicap, and it's a perfect soundtrack to this film about my uh, second favourite football team. Uh, that's why uh, Pete always tweets about Benfica at the weekend. That's weird. I wonder how that started. I've already got the whole uh, Pete's a northerner. Uh, that's my understanding. He supports a southern team, so that's always got my curiosity. But he's also got a, a second favourite team that's a Portuguese team. So I'd be fascinated to um, to know why that is. Uh, I guess most of us have a, have a second favourite European football team. We all immerse ourselves in football books of old and we pick out these magical great club sides from the 60s and 70s. Maybe that's the case with Pete there. Uh, Pete says, while we're roughly on the subject of Portuguese football, is there a particular allegiance to a football team at your local cafe? From what I've seen over the years, it's mainly Porto sprinkling of sporting fans mainly Porto um, at the same time uh, May 2010 I think Benfica won their first championship 16 years and it was chaos around here in South Lambeth um, I don't know whether that's because it was so long since Benfica had won because you know Porto win the title every other year and it's not that noisy around here 
Uh, by the way, uh, just for a moment, alienating female listeners, uh, best European Cup final of my lifetime, in my opinion. Obviously, I was too young for the uh, 70s Ajax finals. And though I'm a Liverpool fan, the 2005 final with Milan was was our worst team, the worst Liverpool team that I can remember. And it was a cup game and a, a great cup final, but not great football, really. Uh, for great football, I'd say Milan v Barca in 94, uh, when uh, the greatest team performance I've ever seen. Milan Ajax 95 was also a very, very underrated game, very, very technical game, and that Ajax side were outstanding. But... The one to check out, in my opinion, Porto Bayern, 1987. Madger's goal is incredible. Pele said, had Madger not looked back when he backheeled the winner, it would have been the greatest goal ever. But that the players glanced back to watch the ball go into the net, devalued it in Pele's eyes. It's also a game where Futre, who at his best for me was better than Ronaldo, he goes on this mesmerising run that would have just outdone Maradona's run the year before in Mexico against England and Belgium and he just puts the ball wide and it was just such an incredible run such an incredible run there are lots of Champions League uh, uh, trips among the regulars at the cafe when Porto are in London place always gets uh, packed out always gets packed out that's uh, this week's uh, song overkill with a load of football thrown in Um, the reason I got confused at the top of the feature was I had my own feature this week and then I thought, well, actually, it's stupid for me to do that and not ask listeners to do their own. So what I'm asking you to do next week is uh, to submit a song that you've overplayed, but only in your head, a song that you don't own, which is what I've been doing this week. I've been humming a song I don't own, which I'll reveal next week. Um, what song that you don't own do you overhum? I know we live in an age where we can uh, download anything, but I've never got around to getting this particular track that keeps playing in my head i wonder if you have one too keep uh, your song overkills coming in subject header uh, song overkill email drt at westegg1607.co.uk so mickey and i we hooked up for a, a coffee the other night he looks good i, I think he was taken aback by my big hair it wasn't anything he said it was just the look he gave me he kind of fixed his eyes on my hair a little for a little too long um it was nice to see him he ordered a a plate of food and i've never seen a portion that big in the cafe it was massive and they've got this weird thing where they serve you a an omelette or a tortilla. Uh, A tortilla is the traditional Spanish one with potatoes and egg, but they also serve it with a side order of chips. And uh, and this thing, it looked like the uh, charity shield. It was it was ridiculously uh, big. Anyway, we were talking about, you know, we were talking about relationships and so on. And we're talking about that moment when you're getting your leg over uh, and you unload and how for a few seconds after that, maybe up to a minute, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same for a woman. I don't know if I'm just talking to the guys here. Certainly as a guy, after that moment, you're feeling things shrinking back to their normal size. It's like the Hulk changing back into Dr. David Banner. And for those few moments, you don't need anyone. You really don't. And I just thought, and I said to Mickey, I just thought it'd be so good if you could make that feeling last for longer if you could have that peace and clarity so you can focus properly on the things you need to do 
time now for uh, job specs. I asked you uh, last week to send in any uh, strange job specs or ridiculous job specs that you might have happened uh, upon those of you looking for work, which may be the majority of people in this country pretty soon. Um, uh, I, I found one which really did get my goat. Um, I don't think I included this one last week. Uh, apologies if I did. Um, to advise this is the job spec to advise the HR department on a daily basis of any lateness and I was thinking how does that work because your new colleagues would have seen that ad go out maybe it may have been that the role was advertised internally first there have been colleagues maybe you know uh, meeting in the uh, breakout area uh, discussing whether either of them was going to go for it and one would say you know I'm not that it's a job that essentially involves grassing up your colleagues I'm not doing that I can't be like that I want to be able to go out drinking with any of you guys anymore let them advertise to external uh, externally maybe they all cut a deal not to go for it and let some uh, outsider come in so you turn up you get that job you turn up on your first day you're introduced to your new colleagues they, they straight away they know what your job is they know what you're there to do they know your salary too. That's always a strange thing about job specs. People know what money you're going to be getting. You won't know what money they're on because you haven't seen their jobs advertised yet. You've just started. I mean, I just think this this is a particularly awkward job. You're there, you get the job, and your new colleagues straight away know that your function there, your, your reason for being there is basically to grasp them up. Pete, uh, Pete submitted one. Uh, looking for hard-hitting at delivery focused project managers uh, provide something I can't read that word uh, <laughs> that's it provide Chan I think that might have been change but but they didn't spell it properly and Pete says uh, after a page of bullshit even the recruitment agent had got bored and it continues if you are a hands of rather than off project manager there is no need to apply that is ridiculous you know what I start doing now any job specs that I see with bad grammar, I, re I, I report those job specs. You're thinking, these people are in work, and that's how those job specs are, are going out. That's 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 unacceptable. See a, a job spec that interests you, that you think is ridiculous, uh, email it in. Uh, job spec in the subject header, uh, email to drt at westegg1607.co.uk. I asked uh, earlier this week on the blog if you are the person that you thought you would be when you were younger. And I ask this because, as I've said before on this show, I never had a plan. I have a plan now, and I've had one for the last year, but I'm, I'm, I'm finding out how hard it is to you know, put those plans into action. I never, as a, as a younger man, really visualised where I would be. I knew where I wanted to be, but I didn't know how I would get there beyond just throwing everything I had at the writing. As I've said many a time, it was all about the career for me. I had told my mum that I'd retire at 22, to her credit, it was something she never pulled me up on. And I thought hard about 40 the other day and how it's so nearly here now. And i got to say, in that moment, when I really, really thought about it and what it meant or what I think it means, it scared me in a way that it hasn't quite done before. I have been dreading it. I am dreading it. But it is here. So... I don't know, I'm going off on a tangent here. I don't know what I thought I would be anyway. I was complacent. I thought that success would last. And whenever I wondered what I might be, my answer was based solely on whether I'd be successful or not. Not the kind of person I would be. It was always tied into the work. William, uh, William Stafford uh, emailed in 
Uh, am I the person now I thought I would be when I was younger? In many ways, I haven't changed. I'm still rather adolescent in my emotional life and a sniggering schoolboy in my sense of humour. I think we've seen that after the uh, the bush line earlier, William. Uh, as a child, being 30 seemed impossibly old, and 40 was older than time itself. I never thought I'd be a teacher, let alone spend two decades in that profession. I always thought I'd be a writer, and indeed I've written a lot of stuff over the years, but at long last I am closer to being a proper writer than ever. I know uh, William has been writing like a demon the last few months, so uh, fingers crossed for him. It does uh, seem like there's some real momentum behind him right now. William continues, I've had my ups and downs like anyone else. Perhaps I've been shaped by the downs more than the ups, but I've come a long way. It's been a long time coming, but I actually like the person I am now. If only I could persuade someone else to share this opinion. That's interesting. Um, I've been shaped by the downs more than the ups. It's certainly the case with me as well. I wonder, isn't that the case with most of us? Isn't it that we we savour success, we savour the good moments, but that the bad moments hurt us so much that they're very hard to let go of. They're very hard to move on from. I'd like to hear from anyone on that. That's uh, that's an interesting point Williams uh, made there. Uh, we'll keep this one open. It's there every week. You want to contribute to that particular item, drop me an email, drt at westegg1607.co.uk. I don't know what we'll call that feature. I don't know. Younger? Let's go for uh, Let's go for younger. Uh, speaking of emails, had a strange email last night, which I, I stuck up on the blog. Uh, I stuck an edited version of that on the blog. Um, it came from a course tutor, rather strange, telling me that two places had been freed up on this course that I'd inquired about about a year ago, and they still keep emailing me about it. Uh, and two people had dropped out owing to work and medical reasons, and I emailed them back. And I said, I, I, you know, that's a very specific detail, bit unnecessary. I don't need to know why they dropped out, nor even that they had. I mean, all they needed to say, just two free places. I, I don't know whether they were concerned that by saying there were free places that they were having problems filling the course up. I think they were, they were overly concerned with making clear that they'd actually filled up all the places, but then one person had dropped out for work reasons and another person for medical reasons. I think that's what it was. But they just needed to tell me there were two free places or places left. They didn't even need to specify how many places. That's all. But now that they had dropped out, I was curious as to what medical issues had forced one of them to pull out. I emailed them back. I want to know what what are the medical reasons. Do you have the reasons? You might as well give me those reasons because you've already given me way too much information. That was very, very strange. A new feature now, uh, introducing the Basics Range Hall of Fame. Which grim food item are you having to endure during the credit crunch? Should your fortunes turn for the better, how quickly will you drop this item? Uh, In spite of the feature's title, this can be from any supermarket or local shop. Naturally, I'm going to open this by uh, putting in the Basics Range tin of cream of uh, tomato soup. Um, I would drop this straight away. My fortunes were to change. In 2008, I was eating game every Sunday. Less than three years later, I was opening tins of uh, 25p soup. This this is so getting inducted into the uh, Basics Range Hall of Fame. Pete offers us rich tea biscuits. Uh, Pete says, living the high life on dwindling savings isn't easy, but no guest has ever died eating Tesco value rich tea biscuits yet. I've had Basics chocolate digestives, which are terrible. Absolutely terrible. They taste completely different. 
Is there something that uh, you want to induct into the Basics Range Hall of Fame? Uh, get in touch. Uh, uh, Basics Range Hall of Fame in the subject header DRT at westegg1607.co.uk or post on the blog or the uh, Facebook uh, group. Staying with Pete, he got in touch regarding last week's feature on the uh, Wellbeing Garden. Uh, if you remember the Wellbeing Garden um, from the uh, South London and Maudsley Hospital website, uh, there are five things that can increase your sense of well-being. Um, you're meant to find one or two that suit you and give it a try and discover your path to well-being. I admitted defeat because uh, I hadn't actually read that bit about finding one or two. I thought you had to find all five, and as far as I was concerned, uh, I think I'd only... I think it was two. Be active. I think I'd, uh, I thought I'd nailed that one. Uh the five things that increase your sense of well-being, according to this, are connect, uh, be active, take notice, keep learning, and give. And uh, Pete emailed in, I am connected to the world. I have friends and family. I sit on a health group for my local community. I am active. I cycle. I garden. I'm a photographer. I notice the little things around me. I'm learning all the time. I read books, and I'm learning my craft as a writer. I smile at people, even though they look at me as though I'm mad. I help my friends with their household projects. I am at one with the world. So why is my life still a complete f***ing Obi-Wan? All of us here, I think, in this situation, um, we've been caught up in this, this credit crunch, watching our lives get turned upside down, watching that gap between the rich and the poor get wider than ever, watching it get bigger than whatever our parents maybe experienced. You know, we we have to stay strong, we have to stay focused, we have to remain determined, we can't really do more than that, we have to stop being hard on ourselves, which uh, that last part has been a nightmare for me to pull off. If we do that though, we have a chance. I, I believe that. I mean, that's all we can do, Pete included. I, I don't think anyone who writes as well as Pete, who lifts a show with these contributions like he does every week here, is 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 a loser. I don't. Maybe like me, his, his self-esteem is low right now, but we have to remember our situation might be shit, but that doesn't mean that we are. You know, we are... We are the victims of this, but there are there are millions of us. But we can't think like victims. We, we have to retain somehow that winner mentality that we had when things were going better for us. That's what we need to do. Where are you in the well-being garden? If you want to share, you know where I am. Send your thoughts in. Hey, the fire warden is back. Our AWOL Firewarden, that's right, Two Rivers Nine, he's back. Hi Daniel, I felt it was high time that I touched base with you again after what seems quite a long time. Now damn right it's been a long time. No wonder Two Rivers and Mickey hit it off on Twitter. Both are as slack as the other. That, that's a meeting of minds there. To bring you up to speed, the whole Firewarden thing has gone a bit tits up since my first evacuation drill a couple of weeks back. Personally, I thought I had done a reasonable job, but a fairly damning report was emailed to me last week, which I fear may bring my brief tenure of the position to an end. There is not a full alarm system at our business premises, so the drill involved me having to suffer the utter humiliation of having to manually shout, FIRE! 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 whilst running around the building in my high-vis vest. Hence the reason for Carol's comments about not being able to hear me. <laughs> oh, she was taking 
a sh in the downstairs toilet. The whole issue of the warehouse mezzanine not being checked <laughs> was also down to bloody Carol. As we were all descending the stairs, she was bellowing almost hysterically about why I hadn't checked the mezzanine. <laughs> I have to be honest, I was more preoccupied with a live <laughs> with a live tweet I was doing of the evacuation than Carol's concerns over a fictitious fire situation. As you can see, the sub two minute evacuation time is about the only positive which came out of it, but in all honesty, I have to accept that time was only achieved because I hadn't checked half the places I was supposed to check. The whole process has made me question if I'm really the man for the job. I guess the next meeting of the fire safety committee mentioned in the memo will decide my fate. Uh, Mickey Boyd, a former fire warden, has studied the transcript of Two Rivers' disastrous fire drill, uh, which was sent to us, and here's what the muscular southeast London Kent Borders bald man has to say. Firstly, he's not checked the mezzanine floor, which, you know, hasn't got many people on it, and it's just a place to sort of get through, but, you know, he hasn't checked it, and that's, that's, a, that's terrible. The server room where the computers are, he hasn't checked that, you know. You could have a young couple... Maybe like having a little bit of a love tryst on the side. They could be having a bit of nookie or a bit of, you know, kissy-kissy. You know, they would burn to death, Mr. Two Rivers, as they was in there. You'd leave them. You're also bragging that it took you two minutes to clear the building, check the register. It's not good. A minute and a half to get them out, that's fine. Not 30 seconds to check the register, though. It should take at least two minutes. You want to be furry, you want to check it twice, yeah? Keep people in their position. Stop them smoking. Have it right, yeah? You don't want to do this. You want to make sure it's thorough. Correct, and you can account for every single person that was in that building. That is too quick to my mind. If there's over 60 staff, that is far too quick. You're not giving them the time they deserve or merit. You also pre-warn people about the email, on, on the email, about the drill, sorry. Again, this is wrong. You should give them a window of time. We're going to do it between 11 and 1. You know, be warned on that. That's enough. So then they can just, they have to go. They can't take their coats, they can't take their bags or nothing. Treat it like a real fire. Because trust me, in a real fire, they'll be looking for their coats, they'll be looking for their bags. They won't know no better. You've got to start being really strict, things like that. Just get out. Forget your stuff, you've got to go. And as for, there's a young lady here, you mentioned Carol. She was stuck in the loo. She couldn't hear you because of like not having a proper fire alarm system set up throughout the building. So that's for you now to put pressure on the bosses to get that alarm system in place. Meantime, poor Carol's sitting in the toilet having a big old... She's going to fry, ain't she? That's no way for her family to remember, is it? It's okay for Elvis to die in the bog, but not Carol. Mr. Two Rivers, you better ship up a bit, mate. This isn't good. Let's get it going. That's former fire warden uh, Mickey Boyd there. Um, Two Rivers continues, I'm feeling a bit of a disgrace to fire wardens at the moment and I need to focus on turning things around. I hope you understand that it doesn't seem appropriate for me to be offering your listeners any more fire safety advice until such time as I'm pardoned from my involvement in this somewhat shambolic evacuation. In other news, I've still been regularly listening to your show and have really enjoyed the contributions of the new international stars, Annie, and particularly the Japanese Lothario Shogun Gaffey. Really hope they both stick around until the show winds up in a few weeks. Uh, kind regards, as always, the temporary disgraced broken genius of the East Midlands, Billy Two Rivers Nine. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, PS Two Rivers uh, continues. I can see from your recent blogs that you may be in need of a bit of cheering up, so I'm sure you'll be glad to hear that a Bucks Fizz glossy sun 
Armour Special magazine is winging its way to you under plain cover via Boydie. I hope it's an old picture of uh, Cheryl Baker, Billy. I don't think I'd be able to handle seeing her 30 years older, I have to say. So there you have it. I can't give you any assurances as to when our Fire Warden will be back. He's a law unto himself, and uh, there's a lot for him to work on. Now, a year ago uh, this week, uh, just three weeks before this show actually launched in, uh, well, last March, I was really uh, struggling. I was uh, essentially at the start of everything. I was just weeks on from moving out of the hotel, still over two months away from uh, moving into this uh, flat. And uh, there was this particular day at the end of February where I was flat hunting. I'd taken time off from work. I needed to find a flat. And I actually blogged about this uh, what happened uh, on the 28th of February last uh, year, and I believe the post is called The Gate. I was trying to articulate the chaos in my head at that time, and I remember that I was on my way to view a, a place, uh, a, a strange place, and that I never actually got to see the flat properly. It was apparent from when I got to the flat that the couple had split up, the guy had been left behind. Uh, every time I went to see the flat, he was there in bed, drunk, topless in one case. And uh, I was on my way to see this flat again, to attempt to see it again. And that particular morning, uh, I emailed my friend, uh, Clay Lowe, former U.S. Army captain, uh, visual storyteller, writer and podcaster. Uh, I'd worked with Clay the summer before. Um, he met me just before things went wrong. We quickly built up a good rapport. And I knew about some of the things that uh, the captain had gone through himself. And I... I turned to him for some help that day with what I was experiencing, uh, but nothing uh, prepared me for his actual response that particular day. Thanks for uh, coming on, uh, Clay. No problem. Uh, I, I, I kind of felt like I was pulling you off a bit there. Visual storyteller, writer, podcaster, former U.S. Army captain, muscular, <laughs> from what I remember. <laughs> yeah. <I'll laughs> so, uh, so I asked you for help on this day. I, I remember I was at Balam Overground, and... Uh, you know, I was in a fragile state, but I'm, you know, mentally, I think I'm quite strong keeping it together. But your emails that day um, really shook me up, uh, brought tears to my eyes in a way, um, which as I blogged that day, were, uh, words, sorry, rarely do that to me. Um, you told me that it sounded like I was at a critical crossroads, uh, as you put it, in your life's journey and your actions now will determine how the story turns out in the end. Um, you've been there yourself, haven't you? Yeah, and I think everybody will reach that point, if not once, probably multiple times in their life, but you'll, everyone will reach and hit that sort of uh, critical place, because it's part of this, um, if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, it's part of the sort of monomyth, and it's kind of the sort of journey we take through life. I know people, if you, you know, you're a screenwriter yourself, um, a screenwriting methodology has sort of adopted this as well for writing screenplays. And you'll see it, it plays itself out. It's just a time in the story um, that we reenact over and over again. I remember I remember your part of your email said you, uh, you're in the belly of the well or the long dark night of the soul as it's been called. And I remember you told me about this book. And I've, I've subsequently heard from other people, you know, you need to read this book. You should read this book. And the bit, though, that really got me about what you said um, was you said it's the part of the journey you must face alone it's going to take all of your strength and courage to get through that and 
I didn't know if I could pull through. I was drained. Uh, my belief in myself had faded. The sadness had taken hold. And, you know, you're surrounded by friends when you get to this point. And, you know, friends are great. But at the end of the day, what your words were saying, that's what I experienced, you know, in your head. Your, your friends aren't in your head. That's got to come from you. You've got to turn it around yourself. And I did feel alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, you called it right. And it was the toughest thing I've ever experienced. And it's it's kind of strange to say that when you've gone through bereavements, uh, you know, at our age, it's normal. Um, but you, you you were spot on with that. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, because, as you say, your, your friends, family, clergy, whomever can only go so far. But we're not in your head. And you can never, ever really know another person. And the only person that's going to be able to do it, that's going to pull it through, is going to be you because you're the only one that knows what's really really going on in your head everything that we know that's going on in your head is is come second hand from you what we can observe but we don't really know what you're going through and no no matter what advice we give you everybody can say oh yeah i've been there i've done that um, all you need to do is this so they can talk forever and but it's until you as the individual sort of face that critical moment yourself it's no help. That's what this whole belly of the world piece is about. Um, you're just there. Your mentor's gone. The guides are gone. Um, all your companions are gone, and it's just you. If you remember that scene from, uh, well, there's a number of scenes, but probably a classic one would be from um, Empire Strikes Back. Luke goes into the cave. That's the cave, the belly of the well. Um, and Yoda says to him, um, you won't need that because Luke goes to pick up the, his weapon. And well, yeah, so what's in there? And he goes, only what you take with you. And and you'll see that same scene in lots of different movies where the hero is on his own. Mentor's gone, guide's gone, friend's gone. It's just them. And we do that in life as well. So I, I was uh, fortunate enough to get this advice from yourself. Uh, who did you turn to for advice? How much of this did you have to work out for yourself? Did you know what was happening to you a few years back? Um, I would say... I was familiar with it from the sense uh, I do a lot of studying of Jung, a lot of study of Joseph Campbell, um, and this sort of whole process um, I was familiar with. So I had, I suppose, a language in which to put it in, so recognizing where I was at. And so that, that kind of you know helped. doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> Just had a language to put to what I was going through. I'm familiar with Young, as uh, you may be aware, I was in Tears for Fears and we were heavily influenced by uh, Young. Um, does it make it more difficult for you, though, knowing what you were going through? You, you'd read these books, you, you understood what you were going through. Did, it, did that make it more difficult? Would you have benefited from being a bit more ignorant? Um, I don't think it made it any more difficult. I think it just helped me to understand that I had to do this thing. And perhaps, it, in fact, it probably helped in the sense of I knew that there was no one else that was going to be able to do it, that I was just going to have to face it at some point. So I can keep avoiding it, but at some point, you just got to do it. This was, this was around 2006, 2007 in your case, wasn't it? Yeah. And from what I remember, you decided to walk the uh, Camino de Santiago. Do you want to tell us what that, what that is? Yeah, that's um, well, it's an old Catholic pilgrimage that you we're meant to do for your sort of penance, you know, to work off your time in purgatory uh, so you could walk the Camino. It's about 500 some odd miles across northern Spain through the Pyrenees. 
Um, and so at this particular time, as I was coming out of it, I decided to, to walk this. Um, and it was, it was, it was quite, um, because all you do, you stay in a monastery, um, in the evenings and then you're up at six out the door and you walk literally all day, walk until dinner time. So you'll stop for lunch, but then you'll keep walking until about five or six, find another monastery to stay in. Um, and your life is like that day in and day out. And I found that after sort of the third day, you start to forget about the rest of the world. This time just sort of disappears and you kind of go through that. Um, mental journey battle because you're sort of fighting with all the demons in your head but then slowly you start facing each one of those one by one and then slowly as the days go by all that starts to they start to disappear and the mind starts to go sort of quiet and it's not as noisy and it was on on the Camino that I had my own epiphany then and kind of understood kind of where I was at um, and what I needed to do. Were you expecting to have an epiphany on that Camino? No, I, I really, you know, I just went to walk it. Um, it was a good opportunity to get away. It was something that I wanted to do. I knew it was a spiritual path because, you know, as, as, a, as I said, as a Catholic pilgrimage, and there's, you know, there's thousands of pilgrims that walk it um, every year. Um, so I wasn't expecting an epiphany, but. Very glad that one did occur. It sounds like a, a very severe thing, though, to put yourself through. No, it's not. Phys- physically, physically punishing. It's not physically punishing in that sense, um, because it, it's. Um, I mean, it, it gets tough in, in in places, but it's not, you know, overly um, demanding on the body. You're not deprived of anything. You live in a sort of meager existence. Um, but it's it's just kind of being back to sort of earth in a sense. You just you know just walking the earth like old Cain did. You know, did the experience or did your whole experience change you? Yeah, well, it it put things in perspective that helped me to understand um, that everything that I needed to do was going to come from inside. I couldn't look externally to blame anything. I couldn't look externally for. Helped and that everything that I needed was generated um, from source, from inside. Was this um, this this whole situation that you found yourself in? Was this inevitable? Was this something building up over time? Was it about uh, approaching forty? Was it about a number of things? I think it's something that builds itself up over time, and and as as you just almost alluded to there, um, you know, it's what I guess traditionally people might call a sort of midlife crisis. So we probably probably all reach that that particular point in life, and some people reach it sooner, some it might take a little while later, and for different reasons that that you get there, Um, and you might do it several times. You know, you you might be in that space because of um, you know, bereavement or something bad has happened to you. You might be in that space because you reach a point and you say, is there anything else to life besides how I'm living now? What else is there besides this? Or some people come to it, well, you know, what's the point of what I'm doing? What's the point of my life? Can you come back the same? Or do you just have to accept that you're going to come back altered? Uh, I think you have to accept the fact that you're going to come back altered. And that's the thing with the hero's journey. The hero, well, something, and I, I take that back because sometimes you don't come back at all. And I think that's what, when, when I, part of my email I sent to you is that, you know, how the story turns out is going to depend on you. But some people don't come, some people don't make it back. Some, to, you, you're not, there's no guarantee that you'll get through to the other side. 
So no, I, so I guess this, your answer to your question is no, you're not guaranteed to come back. Um, but if you do make it back, you'll find that um, the world's the same, so your ordinary world's still the same. The thing that'll be different will be you. And it's what you do, what you've learned when you get back that'll make the difference. Now, before you go, you've just launched this new um, The Naked Philosopher's Journal, uh, an online graphic novel about one man's uh, absurd search for meaning in a world that seemingly has no meaning uh, beyond, uh, as you put it, fake tits, iPods, and SUVs. Uh, SUVs, that's a car, right? Yeah, that's the, the trucks, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I've got, it's a real sort of weak area uh, in my armory, uh, the whole vehicle thing. Um, uh, means I have to work harder to attract women. Now, I've had a look at this, and uh, it's coming out twice a week, isn't it? Mondays and Thursdays, am I Mondays right? Mondays and Thursdays, yeah. Okay, Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, the photography uh, r- reminds me a little of those uh, brilliant Dave McKean graphic novels of the late 80s. You know, uh, McKean and I think Grant Morrison was the usual writer. What, what, what's the idea behind this? Again, it was just another... Was, you, know, you introduced me as a visual storyteller, storyteller and, and for me it's just a, another way of, of telling the story, and it interacts. So somewhere in between... Um, you, you know, sort of straight up film and uh, or and straight up prose. So you have the mixture of the words and the imagery to go together. And as you'll notice, as you're working your way through um, the story or the comic, uh, it's a, a guy that's perpetually in motion. That's on a journey. Um, and you're going to meet different characters along the way. In fact, I think in after not this, so an episode just went out today, and then there's another one on Monday. But the following Thursday. Um, the character gets into a conversation uh, with God, so that'll be an interesting um, one. So he's a, a, a character in motion, and I partly um, inspired from, I don't know if you're much into Taoism, um, but one of the symbols of Taoism is a man walking along a path, and that's kind of the seed of where, where I've kind of started from. To, to read The Naked Philosopher, you go to nakedphilosopher.com. Uh, you can follow uh, the captain on Twitter at Soul Cruiser. That's uh, Cruiser with a Z. Uh, thanks for joining, Clay. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. And, uh, you know, thank you uh, for what you did last year. It's not been forgotten. Excellent. Hey, here's a question uh, I'd ask the cafe management if I was never coming back here. Uh, What is with the lack of soap in the men's soap dispenser? What is that about? Remember remember last week I was talking about Homeland. Uh, I had no idea Channel 4 were about to actually start showing it. Um, It's very unusual for for the BBC and Channel 4 now to show these... uh, uh, American shows at sort of peak time. You get Channel 5 doing it in 5 USA, but uh, uh, the bigger broadcasters, it doesn't really happen so much anymore, whereas they were, uh, those American dramas were a, a, a staple diet of uh, 70s and 80s TV. Uh, I'm now on the final episode. I just carried on watching it um, rather than uh, watch it on Channel 4. Good show. Not a great show, but it is a, a good show. And uh, Mandy uh, Pentinkin, I think I've said that right, I didn't recognise him under that bid, he plays uh, Saul, uh, Claire Danes' boss. He is superb. For me, he's the best thing in it by a long stretch because uh, you know quite a few of the performances are a bit uneven. But uh, it's a good show. It's 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 a good show. I'm on the final episode. Um, it's 
it's it's been easy to get into. Um, I loved uh, Pantinkin in uh, Chicago Hope. I always preferred that to ER. I thought both were inferior to Saint Elsewhere, but ER was the big show, wasn't it? And I watched the first four years of ER, but uh, I preferred Chicago Hope. Uh, unusual that both ER and uh, Chicago Hope were set in Chicago and debuted within 24 hours of each other. I think uh, Chicago Hope uh, started the night before. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me just have a drink of my uh, Diet Blue Bolt here. Pantinkin actually left uh, Chicago Hope. You may have noticed that's the third different pronunciation of his name in less than a minute. He left uh, Chicago Hope early in Series 2, much like Caruso left NYPD Blue in uh, Series 2. But... Uh, in less acrimonious circumstances in uh, Pantinkin's uh, case. I think he returned in series five or six. He's a fine, fine actor. Watch Homeland, if only for him. Great, great performance. Uh, time now for a Nectar Points update. Uh, opening balance today, 420. Closing balance, 432 points earned 12. Uh, what's, uh, so I got 68 points left before I can get my uh, free copy of the uh, Observer. This week I've been working on being less excitable with the bag reuse. Uh, I've been irking cashiers asking if they've scored me my nectar point for uh, uh, bag reuse. It just makes me look a little desperate. Makes me look a little desperate. Uh, what I get today, I got some uh, Aquarius cream, two tins of Basics tomato soup, uh, some shaving gel. Um, what's this soft touch? Oh yeah, yeah, some new uh, shower shower cream. I've been uh, going to quite a few shots for the uh, shower gel stroke shower cream. been trying to maintain that same scent. Remember, you know, in the past I've said that I've been one of those who's got sucked into going for the special offers. What happens? You're changing your, your shower gel every time, so you never retain that same scent. The, one of the targets I've set myself for 2012 is I want to smell the same. I want to find my scent, and I want to retain that, and that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, some uh, emails this week. Uh, William on Greg's. Remember, uh, I I said last week I found it odd that Greg's always had their doors open. Every branch had their doors open, regardless of the weather. Um, William uh, emailed in. You have expressed your dismay at the open doors at every branch of this purveyor of pastries. Your concerns for the poor buggers who work there, however, are unfounded. I'm in a position to report. They have to stand by the ovens behind the counter. They are probably glad of the cool, fresh air. The staff at my local branch always look hot, if not bothered. They look relieved when I decline their offer to slice my loaf because it means operating dangerous machinery. I always check they have the full complement of fingers before I buy a jam. Donut. Thanks for uh, clearing that up, William. Our man banging his way across the Orient and uh, in sharing those sexploits with us, consequently alienating his family. Paul Gaffey is back. Daniel, I hope you're well or getting better, however small that increment might be. Keep fighting and I'm sure the job will come. I must say I am sad to know that we'll be approaching a point that spells the end of your weekly podcast and the regularity that we've been accustomed to. I for one will miss the Brucies, the Toggage and the Nectar Point updates, not to mention the ruthlessly incisive insights into your own circumstances. Your show touches a chord. I've been there and listened to take comfort in knowing that others have too. The Cameroonian is history. The inroad has been tarmacked and signposted, uh, says Paul. It is always hard to leave someone, isn't it? Um, I'd like to know how easy it was for Paul. I suspect it was pretty easy for him to, 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 to walk away from this. Uh, basically, when you do, when you leave someone, or when you're about to, if, you, if when you think of them getting laid by someone else, and 
that thought doesn't hurt as much as it should, then you know you're right to leave. That's what it comes down to. Are you okay with someone else touching your soon-to-be erstwhile partner's bits and making sex sounds with them? If you are, it's time to go. It's time to move on. You're going to get through it. Uh, Shogun continues, It was fun while it lasted, but there was no future in it, and a night of Skyping her family on my PC (laughs) while I was trying to sleep tipped things over the edge. The cackles, foot stamps, and hand claps were too much to hear, were too much to bear. We parted amicably, and I'm now crying (laughs) on the shoulder of a lovely young Japanese lady who shall, for the time being, remain without Monica for fear it ends too soon. At some point in the next five years, uh, when Mr. Gaffey returns to these shores and sits around the table with his family, and this show will be long gone, and they'll ask him about the stuff he talked about on this show, they might say to uh, they might say to him at some point, "And who was that guy? Who was the presenter? Very nasal. He was nasal, wasn't he? Where was he from?" Uh, Paul continues, "I don't know why flamenco is so popular. I think uh, that was it. He was uh, talking last week about flamenco and how popular it is in Japan. I guess the love of Spanish culture and dance is strong in Japan. It seems to have struck a chord. I've included this link to Flamenco World to help you gain some insight into the cultural phenomenon of Japanese flamenco. Uh, obviously, I don't know how I'm going to get that link uh, across. Uh, the website is flamenco-world.com, and I think it's on there." Uh, uh, Paco de Lucia, Paco de Lucia has visited Japan a number of times and he is quite popular here. I, I don't know, is he still alive? Like I said, with the hair, the Andalus roots, my god man, my god, you'd be a Caucasian sensation. Uh, thank you for your mention of Friday Night Lights. I bought the first series on iTunes and spent the entire weekend watching it. Uh, I think Pete uh, as well, he, he posted on the blog that he enjoyed the uh, pilot. Uh... Because I choose uh, chose not to take a break between episodes, I now talk to myself in the flat with a Texan twang and believe myself to be a character on the show. Always a danger. That's always a danger, Paul. I, I was in the first three series of NYPD Blue and nothing will convince me I was. And that's, that's what uh, great US drama shows do to you. Um, you are very right uh, to state that shoes off before entering should be a global benchmark. Let's push things forward. Your friend in Japan, Paul Gaffey. Uh, P.S. My sister is avoiding me on Skype now. I can't think why. Uh, Paul's interracial incursions, and they've been significant incursions, have got me thinking hard on this subject. Uh, you know, by, by his own admission, Shogun has thinning hair, he's got mantits, and he's been honest enough to confess his fear that he wouldn't be able to transfer this outrageous success he's having in in the East to his homeland. He's a bit like Bush, uh, big in the States, but most of all, however big they were in the States, they wanted to be big here, they wanted to be big in England, and it never really happened for them. I think apart from Swallow, their belated 97 or 98 hit. And it, it got me thinking... I've made huge global incursions uh, uh, with the ladies, except for the Orient, as I told Shogun early on. I I failed in many areas of my life, but not with women back in the day, which would surprise many, but that's what made me so good. I I, I was able to keep it quiet from my circle. I think that's what made me the the, the predator that I was. Um, Now, obviously, you live in a metropolis like London, and making these incursions is a lot easier. Uh, all, all sorts of races live here. We all have a curiosity in each other. We coexist. 
there are all sorts of communities popping up here now any any woman who, who say may have come over here recently from another race looking at me as a white man i might be her gateway white man her first caucasian experience she may not know enough about uh, caucasians at that point to realize that i don't have the most modern of hairstyles or, or the best of wardrobes that the way i dress is not representative of the average white male so obviously when you find yourself in that situation and it's on a plate you don't alert them to this you exploit the situation perhaps you work it to your advantage uh you make the most of her lack of knowledge in your race's fashion you maybe keep them away from groups of uh, white friends or white work colleagues so they just can't gauge what a poor choice you might be as a guy to make their caucasian breakthrough with uh, a white woman meanwhile will probably look at my hair my clothes and think is he having a laugh yeah, she's gonna know i'm of no use to her she, she's gonna she's gonna ask how much i'm earning a year you know the game's up pretty quick but these non-caucasian women are at the start of their curiosity five years from now they'll look back at their caucasian debut and realize you know just how uncool you maybe were and i wonder also at what stage of their caucasian addiction these women shogun is meeting a rat is he their debut shag is he the first western male for this young japanese girl that he's currently uh, shacked up this uh, shacked up with this week it's like here in london uh you still get more white women dating black guys than the reverse that is changing <coughs> excuse me it's changing certainly in the last decade but it lags behind um consequently it's it's you know not unfair to say that maybe black women have less of an idea of what constitutes a fashionable white man than white girls uh have of what makes a fashionable black man also black culture particularly youth culture drives fashion that is a fact i don't think too many people would would uh argue with that musically sartorially so it may be that a that a black woman or even around here say the portuguese women the Medi the madeiran women uh might come to you for an alternative to 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 that particular culture they maybe don't want someone that's that fashionable it may be that they're jaded by that they want something different they want to try something new they may want something that's that's less happening so as a white guy you find if it's early on in their caucasian experience you might get away with maybe wearing a cheap primark jumper bad shoes back in the early days when making uh these incursions outside of my own race i didn't know what constituted a good weave or a bad weave those girls probably declined to improve their hair uh for a date with me because they probably thought yeah, well, well, what does he know what does he know about afro-caribbean hair obviously that's not as easy a thing to pull off now the internet means if you're so inclined a woman can google a male from another race very quickly established from the images what kind of hairstyles and clothes are in vogue within that particular community realize what she's getting from you is pretty much the basics range end but back in the day early 90s when i was working being the only white guy in college for all it was worth i didn't know anything about weaves i was starting from scratch and the thing is what i what i kind of liked about it is that at that stage you can both pretend to be something you're not because it's going to be a while before you both realize how deeply unfashionable and uncool the other might be within their races similarly uh, during early incursions into the asian and south american uh, american communities it took me a while to establish that i could operate at a higher level than i'd started with so you know my curiosity at this stage is in knowing what kind of caliber of women the shogun's working with is he uh, their first western male or is he operating on a particular circuit going for for women that he knows are simply uh, are attracted exclusively to to the western 
mail. Uh, another email here, um, I didn't get a name on this one, uh, says you said Rollinek eight times on last week's show. Remember I was referring to a, a, a jumper that my aunt had, uh, had given me. Uh, it's Rollneck, sort out your vocabulary, twat. That's nice. That's nice. Uh, finally, an email from uh, Daisy. Uh, I just listened to your podcast, the one about 48. I was amused. In fact, that was the first podcast I've ever listened to. Almost as good as Radio 4. Almost? Really? Radio 4 is a great station, but their comedy output is pants. And don't don't talk to me about Arthur Strong and that Ray, whatever his name is, the one about writer. Uh, man, please. Uh, I am surprised to hear you think Chelsea is a nice place. I can't stand it. Obviously, I say that I don't know too much about Chelsea. I, I, I know the King's Road. Uh, I know a bit of Fulham. I used to go to King's Road a lot more frequently about a decade ago. A nice cafe there, Picasso's, um, which I think is still there. Um, I guess it's easier when you're away from something. It's like people tell me they like Clapham. I hate Clapham. It's on my doorstep. It's it's such a wanky place. So maybe there's a bit of that feeling uh feeling that way about Chelsea for Daisy. Uh, she says, I can't stand it. Also, apparently that New Order song was recorded in Ibiza and it was another of their albums recorded in the West Indies. That's it. You're absolutely right. I'm not even sure if another of their albums was recorded in the West Indies. It was Ibiza. I remember that. It was the Q magazine article and it was definitely the summer of uh, 89. That's it. That's it. I don't know where I got the West Indies from. I think the Happy Mondays did record an album in the uh, West Indies and I think Tony Wilson turned up and uh, a load of the studio equipment was being thrown out through the window to be uh, being sold to pay off dealers. Uh, Daisy says, seems a shame for you to stop the podcast. What if you forget to start again? Well, that's it. It is a shame. It's a shame to... Uh, I had another email from uh, from um, <clears throat> a friend in the States saying you can't be stopping everything creative that you're doing, but this is the situation. Uh, you're throwing everything at changing things. And, you know, today, Thursday, I've been doing this now for seven hours preparing this show. It's crazy to do that for, for no money at all. And... Uh, you know, the audience is holding steady. Obviously, there was that drop-off coming off uh, Twitter for a while, which was frustrating. But what I do, I can't get the show sponsored. There's been the problems with iTunes. It's uh, it's a lot of hassle. I want this uh, show to try and do something for my career. It's not really doing that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I plan on uh, coming back, but I certainly don't think I can come back with that weekly regularity that uh, I've sustained over the last year, which is a, is a shame. But this show is work. And, you know, if you're working, you should be getting some money for it. That's that's the sadness of this. Uh, hopefully, uh, Daisy uh, will continue to listen to the show. That's me done for this week. Uh, please support the show by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. Won't take you more than five minutes. You think about how many admin jobs I've not been able to apply for today because I've been putting show 49 together. Huh? Think about that. You can also listen on Jellycast, Stitcher Radio, and Mixcloud. You've got the Facebook group that you can join. Uh, email the show, DRT at westegg1607.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at 1607westegg. The blog, 1607westegg.wordpress.com. Next week's show, get your song overkills in. Remember, songs that you don't have, but that you keep humming. Thanks for listening. Keeps me coming back. I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Good hair is never enough. It never was. Next week, people. Next week. <laughs>